about halfway through that last song, I noticed my water was tipped on its side and was pouring into Adam's feet over here. So today it was me. I did it today. I'm the one who spilled something. Fortunately, it was just water. But Okay, well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the book of Job, because we are getting ready to embark on a new teaching series. Job is relatively easy to find. If you just try to open up your Bible right in the middle, it's likely that you'll hit Psalm. Psalms, and, and uh, just before that is the book of Job. And it's so comforting for me to say this morning, turn to the book of Job, we're going to be there for a while, because uh, we have been going through a topical preaching series over corporate worship, and I, and I loved that season of teaching together. Um, I think it was necessary, it was needed, it was good, but I don't prefer to preach that way. <laughs> just cards on the table. I like to just go through books of the Bible, as you know, from start to finish. So I find great comfort in just turning to the book of Job and starting into it with you today. But at the same time, there's something very unsettling about this teaching series because it's the book of Job. Um, this is a very, very uh, almost troubling book of the Bible to get into, but I have this mantra that I have developed over the years when it comes to preaching. Uh, something that I say to myself uh, as a way of pep-talking myself when I'm a little unsure of how we're going to go through this teaching series and having never taught through the book of Job from start to finish before. Uh, I, I, something I say to myself is just, just trust the Word of God, man. Just trust the Word of God. Just trust the Word of God. Trust the Bible. This is, this is profitable. I may not even understand completely how profitable everything in the book of Job is just yet as I'm getting into it along with you, but I trust that it is profitable because it's all God-breathed. You know, you think of that, that famous passage in 2 Timothy 3.16. Those are, it's one of those passages you may have gone through a million times, right? All scripture is, is profitable and, and God-breathed. And, it, and it's all, as it tells us in that verse, that it's, it's meant to equip us. We're not ready to live into this world the way that we should unless we equip ourselves with uh, the, the word of God and the information that's there. And I promise you, the book of Job is unique when it comes to equipping us. The book of Job will equip you unlike any other book in the Bible because so many different things are taking place there and it's so difficult to process in so many ways. But you know, if you kept reading in that passage in 2 Timothy 3.16, it would go on to say that there's a time coming when people won't endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That famous passage in 2 Timothy 3.16 says that there's going to come a time in which people, they're just going to reject the truth and wander off into myths. We are 100% living in that time, to say the least. We're living in the information age. We're saturated with information, and every viewpoint is always at our fingertips, and all of these different truths are at our fingertips on our phones. And so if we're ever confronted with something that we don't want to believe or don't believe, we just find someone who will tell us what we do believe and tell us what we want to hear, right? And you know who seems to be the worst at this? Church people. 
<laughs> I, think, I think church people are some of the worst people when it comes to this. Like, especially seasoned church people, people who have been going to church for their entire lives. I think the longer you exist in church, the more of a pressure there is that develops that says, I got to have all of this figured out. And, you know, you get to the point which you can't teach an old dog new tricks and things like that, right? And so what tends to be the case sometimes is that when people, after having gone to church for a long time, they're confronted with a truth that doesn't fit into what they have believed all of these years, poof, they're gone. I don't want to be challenged like that. I'm set in my beliefs. And so if you challenge me or, or confront me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go somewhere where they, they'll just tell me what I already know. They want that confirmation bias. Well, if you have that mentality, the book of Job may be really hard for you to hear. The book of Job may cause you to scramble because it talks about a lot of things and says a lot of things that are troublesome. That's how it's designed by God to work. It's often the case that people will come to the journey and they'll start attending here, and the first thing they want to do is tell me what they believe. And the expectation upon telling me what they believe is that I would preach what they believe. And so sometimes that works out, and sometimes it doesn't. And the moment that I don't teach what they believe, poof, they go down the street to the church that does preach what they believe, or they'll go, you know, plug into the source of information that does confirm what they already believe, right? And so that tends to be the case, but I, I, I've learned something else in preaching that if I try to, to teach and preach according to the preferences of all of the different people that come into the journey, that's exhausting and it's impossible. So I really try as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, to just stick to the script. That's why I like teaching through books of the Bible and just taking things at face value and, and just thinking through them in real time with one another and seeing what God would have us to learn here. So I'm not going to try to preach a version of Job that maybe I would anticipate suits you and what you already believe. I want to preach the actual Job. So I'm not going to preach the version of Job that's so tempting to preach that would soften what this book has to say and that would um, you know, assure you of some of those preconceived notions that are built into your brains. I'm not going to preach the version of Job that says Job was this perfectly good man. Satan, out of nowhere, just does a lot of really bad stuff to him. But Job was really good whenever all that bad stuff was happening. And so because he was really good, God makes it all better in the end. So if you're really good, when bad stuff happens to you, God will give you more stuff too. So make sure you love God. Make sure you behave when you suffer, or you're not going to get the goodies. I'm not going to preach that version of Job. Church people love that myth, right? They love that myth. They love to go find that myth and be told it again and again. And it's just close enough to the truth that it's almost defendable. It checks a lot of boxes of our shallow assurances, and it appeals to our works-based nature most of all, right? Do better. Okay, I will. hope God still loves me. It's simple, but my, my heart, my plan, as I mentioned, is to preach to you the actual version of Job that's in the Bible, and it's, it's pretty rough. Uh, you find out that Job's not a perfect individual. He's a man of integrity, yes, but he's not sinless. You find out in the actual version of Job that it's God who serves up Job on a silver platter to pure evil. 
That's a hard pill to swallow. You find out in the actual version of Job that Job struggled. He did not get all the answers he was looking for. He was confused most of the time, full of anxiety. And when he appeals to God trying to get those answers, God's response is this, no, I'm not going to give you the answers. Deal with it. I'm God. That's the actual version of Job. In the actual version of Job, Job just accepts it. He just accepts it. He chooses not to curse God, and he chooses to trust him, and you should too. The actual version of Job forces you, it will force you to deal with a lot of the bad theology that you have swirling around in your brain right now. It's going to force you to deal with your own life. It's going to force you to deal with the suffering that's in your own life. It's going to force you to deal with the suffering of the people and the lives around you. And it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for theological wimps. They always run from Job. But I tell you what Job is for. Job is for real people living in this real world with really tough circumstances. And in the midst of those tough circumstances, you're trying to honor God, but you're not really sure how, and you're not really sure where your faith fits into all of this or what you think about things, but you're trying your best. Job is perfect for those sorts of people, people like us, right? And so don't waste your time with the myth of Job. Let's sink our teeth into the actual Job. And I want to I challenge you to be okay with being uncomfortable. Have you ever noticed in the times of your life in which you've grown the most as a person in many ways, it's often uh, simultaneously with a lot of uncomfortable circumstances in life. Like growing is uncomfortable. Physically growing is uncomfortable. You remember growing pains, right? Not just the show, but the actual growing pains that you had when you physically grew but also emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. A lot of times that growth is accompanied with suffering. There's purpose in it. And so I want to encourage you to be comfortable with the confusion. Be comfortable, be willing to let this book leave you a little unbalanced week by week. Be willing to be challenged and consider it an opportunity to truly grow in your faith in perhaps a way that you never have before. Maybe you'll get to consider God in ways that you've never considered him and confront realities that you've never even thought of. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith, to learn more about who God actually is and to learn more about who you actually are and to learn more about who you actually are in light of who he actually is. That's called proper theology. And that's what we're striving for. We want to understand and we want to honor God with that understanding. So with that in mind... Turn to the book of Job. Let's just take the first verse. And it's already filled with some mystery right out the gate. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. Okay, if you want to understand Job, let's do some housekeeping really quick. And so we're going to do the house, this housekeeping that actually kind of clutters up the house a little more, but that adds to the mystery of Job, so you have to get used to that. Uh, first things first, who wrote Job? We don't know. <laughs> so there you go. You can read all the theories, you can read all the research, and I was doing it all week. We don't know. 
Moses is most often attributed with the authorship of Job. And so it could be that it was Moses, and a lot of believers over the years consider Moses to be that author. But unlike other books of the Bible, there is nothing in the book of Job that claims authorship. And so we're just not really sure. There's another uh, group or camp out there that says, no, we don't think Moses wrote that. We think it's most likely the case that uh, it was written during the time of King Solomon, perhaps by King Solomon. And there's many reasons for that too. And prophets after the time of King Solomon, like Ezekiel, will reference Job and things like that. And so in how he references him, that they think, well, it was probably written about that time. But we don't know. But it's always been the case that the people of God has considered this the word of God. And we should too. The title of the book is Job, but we don't even know why that is. A lot of times the title of a book tells us a lot about the book or, the, or, or someone's name in a book of the Bible tells us a lot about that person and, and who they are. That happens all over the place with names of prophets and people, even the name of Jesus. His name teaches us about who he is. Jesus is just the transliteration of the Greek word or the Greek name Joshua, or the Hebrew name, I'm sorry, Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh saves. And so it's no wonder. Now a lot of people were named Jesus around the time of Jesus. But he was given the name Jesus because of who he is and what he was going to do. He, was, he had come to save his people from their sins. Yahweh saves. No wonder he was named Jesus. That tells us something about him. So whenever you get into the etymology of the word of the, of the, of the name Job, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. We don't know. We don't know what Job means. We don't even know how to pronounce it. We just don't want to say job. <laughs> right? Because... That's just weird. And so there's mystery there. We don't, know, we don't know what that name means. If you look in a baby book and look up the name Job, it says one who is persecuted. But that's because of Job. Like his parents didn't name him that because of that. They just named him Job for some reason we don't know. That's just the name they, they picked. Job, as we see from the first verse there, he's from the land of Uz. You know where the land of Uz is at? Neither do I. I don't know. And no one really knows where the land of us is at. Now, you can get into a lot of research and take a lot of good guesses. And there's some clues in the paragraph we're getting ready to read. But we don't know. We, we know this, though. And this is a big clue in making sense of this. I am going to give you some pieces of the puzzle as we go along. It's not Israel. That tells us something. He's not from Israel. So could it be that he's not Israeli? He's not Jewish. He's not a descendant of Abraham. Hmm. He's out of left field. So if you look into the research and you look into ancient maps and you look around the Word of God for different clues and context clues and things like that, a lot of people say this is Edom. This is like, this was Edom before it was Edom. It was us. You, maybe you've heard of the Edomites in Scripture. That's one camp. You look at uh, some other camps, and you'll find that a lot of people think that it's Aram, A-R-A-M, uh, e east of Israel. Um, we don't know. But the point is, it's not Israel. It's to the east of it, as we'll see. Job is seemingly this outsider that we're learning about outside of Israel. Israel, outside of the promised land, but yet he was one who feared God and turned away from evil. So he's, he's likely not a descendant of Abraham, not Jewish, but yet he feared God and turned away from evil. Who is this guy? 
He's so unique already. There's some mystery here. He's not the first of his kind, though. He's not the first of his kind. There's actually another man who lived around the time of Abraham, not around, during the time of Abraham. His name was Melchizedek. He wasn't a descendant of Abraham, and he was a priest who offered sacrifices to God, just like what we'll see Job doing here momentarily. And he loved God, he feared God, and, and turned away from evil. So Job and Melchizedek seem to be in their own category of human beings in the Bible. A little bit of mystery there, but Melchizedek plays a huge role in teaching us who Jesus is in the book of Hebrews, as you know from our study in that book. So it's likely then, and this is where most people land, it's likely that Job was living during the same exact period of time as Abraham and Melchizedek. So it's after Abraham, but before Moses, and before the Mosaic Covenant. Somewhere in there, you got Job. What's the first thing that the book of Job wants us to know about Job? It's that he was blameless and upright and one who feared God and turned away from evil. This was a real stand-up, moral person. Now, don't get carried away with those labels. A lot of times people will, will, will take that too far. This doesn't mean that he was sinless. Doesn't mean that Job was perfect. And you'll see throughout the book of Job, him reference his own sin. And in the passage we're getting ready to read, he's going to be offering a sacrifice for sin. He's aware of sin. He's aware of the fallenness of man. So he's not perfect. And blameless and upright, those are descriptions given to other people in the Bible too. Like Noah, he was described that way. Abraham was described that way. And when you read the story of Noah and Abraham and look at the facts of their life, even though they're given that description, are they perfect? No, they are far from perfect human beings. But generally, they're very moral and wise human beings. They feared God. And so does Job. He feared God. Now remember what it means to fear God. A lot of times when we see that description of someone, someone who fears God, they, they cower, they're afraid. Well, that's not really what that description in the Bible is, is ultimately getting at. That's not entirely wrong, but it's not entirely right either. When someone fears God in Scripture, they are, they are someone who is in awe of God. There are, they, someone who fears God in the Bible is someone who obeys God. They understand who God is, and they understand that they are not the center of the universe. God is at the center of his creation. So they understand who God is and who they are in relationship to him. That's someone who fears God. Job was one of these people. He was, and in scripture, when you're someone who views God at the center of all creation and not yourself, you're someone who fears God, and if you fear God in that way, then that is the epitome of biblical wisdom. You are wise. That is the beginning of wisdom. And so Job is this upright, mysterious individual who comes out of left field from the east of Israel, the land of Uz, and he wants to serve and honor God with his life, and he seems to be doing it. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, there were, there were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. 
So we see a lot of numbers there. Now, anytime you're reading numbers in the Bible, it's often the case that numbers represent something than merely the amount. Okay? I don't want to get too far into this and too lost into this, but yet I think there's something of merit that we need to stop and pay attention to because it's communicating something to us about Job's life. He had seven sons and three daughters. Now, if, he, if you've read through the Bible, you see that number seven a lot. It's, it's considered to be a complete number, a perfect number. It communicates a completeness. Creation took place in seven days, for example, right? And so when you get into the book of Revelation especially, there's like the number seven is used like 50 times in various ways to communicate completeness in that book. You get into other books of the Bible like the Gospel of John, and there's certain things that happen seven times uh, over and over. You think like the I am statements of Jesus. There's seven of them throughout the book of John. And so there's this completeness that the number seven communicates to readers of the Bible. So when it comes to Job's family, he had seven sons, the perfect amount. He had three daughters. That number three is another number of completeness. You think of the, the Trinity, three persons, one God. You think of how Jesus died and rose again over the span of three days. You think about how Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And so over and over and over again, the number three communicates this completeness. Job had three daughters, the, the perfect amount. And then seven plus three is ten. Ten is another complete number in Scripture. You think of the Ten Commandments. You think of the ten plagues that God used to release his people from slavery to the Egyptians. Ten is used over and over. He's got the perfect family. He's got the perfect life, this beautiful white picket fence family. And he's got a solid career to pay all the bills, right? He's got seven sons and three daughters, a perfect 10 in that category, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. That's a perfect 10 times 1,000, right? Uh, again, a perfect 10,000 now. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. There's another perfect 10, right? 10 times 100, 1,000. And many servants to boot. This guy's living the great life. He's been doing it right. He's the greatest of all the people in the East. He was moral. He was successful. He was God-fearing. He was doing awesome. We learn more about his family here in verses 4 and 5. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the, set, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. So Job's family is amazing. They're a reflection of him. They all get along. They love each other. Their kids don't even fight. They spend time with each other. They want to be together. They're the, they're the picture frame family, right? Like when you go to buy the frame for your family photo, there's already a picture in there. And it's already the perfect family, right? They're the picture frame family. That's them. That's Job's family. And he's earned it. He's doing it right. Do you notice that in their multi-day celebration, there's, there's no indication of anything evil taking place here. There, there's no indication of anything, any spiritual trouble in any way, shape, or form. But yet Job is still the kind of person who offers burnt offerings for his whole entire family According to the number of them all, it says. Why is he doing that? 
Well, it's just in case. He knows they're not perfect. They're not sinless. Job's like, I'm going to offer a sacrifice for myself and my entire family just in case any of them have sinned, just in case they cursed God in their hearts and I'm just not even aware of it. I'm going to offer a sacrifice on their behalf to make sure that we are all honoring God with our family time together. Wow, he's a God, this is truly a God-honoring man, a genuine worshiper of God. He, these are the salt-of-the-earth type people, light-of-the-world type people. And if it all stopped at verse 5, we would love the book of Job and no one would ever have any problems with the book of Job because so far, it's fair. We would love it all if it stopped right here. He's an honest, hardworking man. He takes care of his, of his family. He's good to people. He, 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 he offers sacrifices to God, even when he's not even sure if he did anything bad. He just figures they probably did, but he just wants to honor God. And so it's only fair that things are going well for the life of Job. It's only fair. He deserves a good life because he's been doing good things his entire life. He's earned it. We don't have any problems with verses 1 through 5. None at all. And the reason we don't have any problems with it is because deep down, this is how we want to believe the world works. That if you do good in life, you will be rewarded with good things. Why? Why do we want to believe that deep down? Because that's fair. You do it right, you get right. And if you do bad things in life, there will be retribution. Why do we believe that? Because we, we want to be, we love justice. That's fair for you to get retribution if you do bad in this world. We even have a, a saying for this belief, right? What goes around comes around, buddy. Right? So be careful. So if that's all there was to Job, nobody would have any issue with Job. We would always preach through Job. Every pastor would love to go through this book. And it would make this book entirely useless. Because that's not how the world plays out, is it? Is that what you're experiencing? Maybe sometimes. Sometimes you do good and you get good. Sometimes you do bad and you get, you get bad. But is that always how it plays out? No. Doesn't it seem to be the case to you that a lot of times people go out there and they lie and they cheat and they steal and they reap a big reward for doing those things? What do we say when we see that happens? When we see that happening? We have a saying for it. Life's not fair. Deal with it. Doesn't it seem to be the case and that when you set out to do good things in life, it's often the case that you're doing as good as you can, you're, do, you're trying as hard as you can, you're doing the right things, but you get nothing but bad in return? Don't you experience that all the time? We have a saying for that too, don't we? No good deed goes unpunished because that's how the world works. And so... If good things only happened to good people who obey God and took care of their families, and if bad things only happened to bad people who disobey God and only care about themselves, this life would be a piece of cake to figure out, wouldn't it? There wouldn't be any confusion at all. It'd be a breeze. Everybody would be a believer. Do right, and you'll get a reward. Do wrong, there will be retribution every single time. This would be a piece of cake to figure out, no problem. If that's the way the world worked, we'd have it all figured out. We could sort this out easily. And everybody would believe in God because we'd all want our goodies 
And we'd all want to get those goodies from God for doing good. You know, it's often the case that uh, ministries and, and preachers and religious people, they try to sell religion to you like this, and it works. It's very effective because that's what we want to believe. Even though it's not what we're experiencing, it's what we want to believe. And so they'll peddle this version of religion to you like this, and they'll play you. You want to live a life that's good. You want to live a life that's full of health, wealth, and happiness. Well, that's what God wants for you. Don't you want that? Start doing the good things so you can have that. Start doing the right things. Are you suffering in your life? It's because you're doing something wrong, obviously. Stop doing the wrong things and start doing the right things, and then everything will work out. So the first thing you need to do to do, start doing those right things, what do they say? Send me a check, <laughs> right? Send me money, and you can have it. That'll be the first good thing on the list of good things that you'll start doing to ensure that good things will start happening to you. Sow a seed, and it'll grow into this wealth of, of, of treasures from God to you. You just got to do something good to get that good because good people have good things happen to them, and bad people have bad things happen to them, and that's all you need to know. And people want to believe it so bad that they get duped by it over and over and over. But yet, what happens? The bad people that peddle that lie, they get rich. They lie and cheat, say something that's wrong, and they get rewarded for it. And the suckers that get duped by that message, they die from cancer like the rest of us, and only with less money in their bank account. Because that's what happens in the real world. Isn't that what we're all experiencing? I mean, realists... We, when we observe the world, this is what we see. We see a fallen and broken world that isn't fair. And it drives us to ask a really important question. And this is the question that Job is going to force you to ask, even if you don't want to ask it, even if you've been avoiding it all of your life. It's going to force you to ask this. In light of this broken and messed up world, why would you praise God for another minute? It doesn't work the way you want it to. So why would you praise the one who created it? You're going to be confronted with that question. Do you have an answer for it now? Job can help. This is why we need this book of the Bible, so we can sort that out. It's a complicated answer. It takes 42 chapters to sort through it. It's not easy. It's a hard question with a very difficult answer. Do you have an answer for it, though? We all know what's around the corner for Job, even if you haven't read Job. You can tell just by the way I'm setting the table here, something really bad is about ready to happen to this really good dude. And if you read it before, you know that it's really bad. I mean, it's terrible. All the goodies in life that he's worked so hard in an honest life to earn, it's all going to be stripped away. And for what? Why? Why is it stripped away? Hey, Job, everything you've loved and worked for, it's, it's going to be taken away and ruined. You going to worship God now, Job? You going to offer those burnt offerings now? Well, you can't. All your cows are dead. Where, where does that leave Job? More importantly, where does that leave you? That's, that's what you're going to be confronted with. Where does that leave you? That's what we're going to study, and that's why this is so important. Like, what happens when you obey God, but life still punches you right in the mouth? You still for God then? What happens when you've been praying for provisions from God, but they're not coming? 
What happens when you're praying for, for blessings from God, but they're not arriving? What happens when you're praying for protection for your family, but you don't get it? What, what then? You still obeying him then? You still fearing him then? What happens when you're in a season of life in which it feels like everything that's dark and evil in this world is raining down upon you and devastating you? And that's the experience that you're, you have when you wake up in the morning. You still going to church? You still up for it? You know, when bad things happen to good people in this life, you and I all do the same thing. We want answers. I want an explanation. If I'm going to go through something bad, I at least want to know why. And when we don't get that answer, what do we do? Well, we're going to give God the middle finger. We're going to start deconstructing everything we believe. That's pretty popular. It's what a lot of people do. Don't act like it's not tempting either. You don't have to act like that's not tempting just because you're a Christian in church today. It is tempting. You don't have to fake it till you make it here. But what the book of Job is offering us is a different path. It's offering us a different option. Job's going to show us the way, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through 42 chapters. It is not a simple, easy answer. You're not going to get like, you're not going to be able to walk into the book of Job demanding all of these answers and then walk away from it with this really neat, sorted out, bullet point list of answers that you can pull out of your pocket and always have life figured out whenever you need it to be figured out. That's not what this book is going to do for you. But it's going to take you in a direction that maybe you've never considered before. So there's a couple of things, a couple of things that I want to put into your mind to, to close this sermon out with, just two points, that helps you to know how this book will revolutionize how you deal with suffering and how you process suffering in the, in the world. These are, this is, these are the two things we're going to set out to accomplish, and, and what I believe is, is, is uh, on a silver platter for us to just uh, take in. Number one is the book of Job is going to teach us this. Don't put too much stock in your ability to make sense out of this life and circumstances. That's, that's one major lesson in the book of Job. Don't put too much stock in your ability to make sense out of this life and all the circumstances you're in. Again, we, we want to know, know the reason for all those bad things when they happen. Why do we want to know the reason for all those bad things? Well, because when, when I don't understand what's going on in my life and all these bad things are happening to me, everything feels out of control, and we hate to feel out of control. So if I can get a reason for why this bad thing is happening to me, I can manage it. I can handle it. I can get a grip on it. I can control it. And so if you're reading this book so that you can get better control of those circumstances in your life. That's not how this is going to help you. And that's really not what you need. The book of Job is a reminder to us that we all have limits. We, we don't control everything. It seems like most things we can't control. And some things are too much for us to comprehend. comprehend. We're, we're very limited. So... Here's the thing about Job in the book of Job, and this is a spoiler alert again. Job's comfort doesn't come in finding all of the reasons for his suffering. As a matter of fact, as I mentioned earlier, he doesn't get the reasons for his suffering at all. The comfort that Job finds in the book of Job, and it's the same comfort you and I should be after, is that Job gets God. He finds God. He, the, the book of Job is a book about faith 
just as much as it is a book about suffering. So can you, do you have this ability right now? Can you trust God when you have absolutely no idea what he's doing in your life? Can you trust him then? Are you able to say like what Job says in chapter 13, though he slay me, I will hope in him? Do you have that kind of trust? The book of Job will help you develop that kind of trust. Maybe it's a trust that you haven't ever developed before. And if you wait till the suffering comes, it's really hard to develop it. So here's the second thing that I think this book is going to teach us, and this one's critical too, because it, it, it causes you to have to pick a side. Satan has a design for suffering, and God has a design for suffering. We learn, and we're going we're gonna to hammer this next week when we gather again. Satan has a design for suffering in this world, and he has, he has a design for suffering in your life. His design wants to get you to deny the faith and curse God, and it's a really, really effective design. It works all the time. Put someone through anguish. Put someone through agony. Cause them to suffer, and it will cause them to deny God, deny the faith, curse him. It works. It is really, really effective. That is Satan's design, and that is exactly how a lot of people uh, experience those circumstances in their life. But we also learn in the book of Job that God has a design for suffering as well. And he uses suffering to grow us, to mature us, to season his people with grace. And it's a really effective design too. We see that design play out all through scripture. He uses suffering to redeem us. He uses suffering to, to provide our salvation, right? I mean, that's how the gospel works. Through the most unjust thing that's ever happened. The most unfair thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind is exactly what saves us. It's exactly the suffering that redeems you and I. Jesus, this sinless man, he was more righteous than Job could ever dream of. He was he was, he was completely moral, yet he dies this sinner's death on a cross. And Satan meant it, meant it to disorient God's people and to hurt God's people and to, and to cause evil and destruction in God's creation. But God meant it for good. He had a design for it too. And that cross that Christ died on provided our salvation. And so we know from the gospel itself, that the suffering that we experience in this world can be used by God to redeem us and to do something good. We may not have all the answers as to why or what's happening, but we know this, his design doesn't fail. It succeeded in the worst circumstance ever. So the book of Job is going to minister to our hearts in this way. We don't have a lot of these questions. We don't have a lot of these coping skills as believers because we avoid hard truths that are in the book of Job and you will be confronted with many difficult, difficult truths. You need it. You need to be off balance a little bit. You need to be challenged because you want to grow. You want to strengthen your faith. You want to be actually equipped with the information that God gives us through his word. You know, as a consequence of reading Job, you might think about God and suffering in an entirely different way. And there's a clue to how we can develop this sort of faith in the book of James. If you have 
your Bibles and you, know, and you can turn to the book of James in time, James chapter 5, uh, verses 10 and 11, there's a moment in James in which he's teaching about suffering. And as he's teaching about suffering, he reminds his readers to consider Job. Well, that makes sense because Job suffered in all of these really unfair ways. And so I, what I want to draw out of this little snippet of information in James is, is the consequence of, of considering Job results in something in a way that you feel about God. In James 5, verses 10 and 11, it says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassionate and merciful. He's saying, man, consider the steadfastness of Job. Because when you do consider the steadfastness of Job through all 42 chapters, what do you, what do you begin to feel about God? Well, you, he says you begin to feel uh, an awareness of the compassion of God when you read through Job. You begin to develop an awareness of the mercy of God as you read through Job. Well, man, you just take a quick glance at Job and you don't really think of the compassion and the mercy of God right out the gate, right? Because... Things are going to go really bad, and you don't really know why, and it's, and it's difficult to process. But yet, when you come out the other side, when you, when, you, when you marinate in this book of the Bible for a season and understand it and consider all of the treasures that are in there, you come out the other side thinking, wow, God is compassionate. God is so merciful. How, how do you get from A to B? Well, that's why we're spending a season of time. There's no quick answer for that. But that's where we're trusting in the Bible. We're trusting God that when we, when we go from A to B, we're going to come out the other, other side believing, wow, God is so compassionate. God is so merciful. So I'm inviting you to take that journey with us through the book of Job. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your word and, and what an incredible tool that it is. It's so often the case, Lord, that we gravitate towards the easiest parts of it to comprehend, and, and that ends up being the only parts of it that we cling to in this life. And that's a mistake because all of it is profitable for correction and rebuke and reproach, Lord. All of it is needed to be equipped to live out this life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless us in this season of study through the book of Job, that we would be steadfast in our pursuit of it, that we would endure, be patient, and be willing to wrestle with the difficult things of this relationship that we have with you. Father, bless us and guide us, and may, uh, may we, by your spirit, grow and develop uh, and strengthen our faith. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.